0: Welcome to Standing Out Horsham. I'm Emma. And I'm Anna. And today we are bringing one of our former guests back, uh, Zoe Blake, the friendly pet nurse. Welcome Zoe. Hi, thank
1: you so much for having me back.
0: I'm very excited about this one.
2: Yeah, so this one is uh, is going to be quite different from the last one, which was quite focused, well it was focused on dogs and uh, we talked quite a lot about your campaign Respect the Lead that you had launched earlier. Uh, this time we want to broaden the scope a little bit and we have actually involved our listeners who have sent in
0: questions via email and social media. Yes, because Zoe, you deal with uh, pet care but it's beyond dogs and uh, we want to say, tap into your expertise and as Anna said, we've had lots of questions in from our listeners about sort of general pet care and we want to put them to you and, and get your get your response. Of course you're well placed to
2: answer these questions where you have more than 20 years of experience working as a pet nurse in Horsham
1: so yeah. So how, how have you been over the last year? How's things you've been busy haven't you? Yeah. I know that. Yeah so so my normal role as a veterinary nurse it's in my 31st year now actually. Oh wow. Yeah so um yeah two weeks turned 16 when I started. Obviously it had diverted slightly I suppose with doing my Australian phone Um, triage work I was doing, and my evenings in my referral practice, but I decided that work-life balance probably wasn't so great, so um, I'm now actually just working in my referral practice, and then I do my business the rest of the time. That's still as busy as it ever was. I like writing content, so I do try and um, educate pet owners on various aspects of um, pet care, try and share and sort of pass on my knowledge that I've gained over the years. Um, And so obviously today's focus with a pet Q&A is, yeah, kind of what I like. Great. So shall we get started? Let's get started. So um,
0: this is our first question. This is from Ellen. Okay. Uh, She has a cat um, and he's got a bit of a problem with dribbling. So she says, we rescued our cat when he was about six months old. He's always been a dribbler But this seems to be getting worse as he gets older. He's now 11. Why does he dribble? And does his dribble
1: carry lots of germs and bad bacteria in it? Thank you, Zoe. Okay, so this can be quite a common behaviour that cats display. Um, Often it's accompanied by kneading. So when they actually pad, people call it different things, but they pad with their claws and they might need to come and sit on your lap and then they start padding on your favourite jumper or your fleece blanket. And then often the dribble... Tends to come once they start to do that. If they've always done it, it probably is actually a happy emotion. Stemming back from when he was a kitten. And probably, therefore, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's obviously the, um, yeah, it's just the dribbling, getting wet. <laughs> and the kneading, maybe, that accompanies it. Um, if it was a new behaviour, however... Um, something that's just developed then it could be a sign that maybe there's something wrong there Mm. so any sort of problem within the mouth dental disease you know something going on with the back of the throat um, with the nasal cavities so anything like that could obviously then start to make them dribble Um, the other thing is if they're feeling nauseous a bit like us when Mm. we feel sick animals will actually salivate Um, and obviously that can present as dribbling Um, and actually if cats are stressed and anxious, they also can um, dribble. And sometimes at work we can have cats that are in a cage and they almost know that we're going to come and tablet them and they're anxious and they straight away start to dribble, just, as I say, because they're they're worried and anxious about it. So, yeah, if it's a new problem, I definitely would recommend getting it checked. Right.
2: Thank you. Um, And then we have another question that we've received uh, through Facebook and uh it's from sophie it's about her dog momo our six-year-old momo loves going to horsham dog park and she's a self-taught therapy dog who loves people and dogs not sure why she started to bark around three years ago every time she goes inside the fenced doggy park not at any at any dog in particular but just bark like she's announcing something thanks for your help
1: right okay so um Obviously some people believe that dogs maybe bark as a communication and often with these situations you have to kind of feel what's the emotion behind the barking. So you have to then maybe tally it up with other body languages that the dog's showing. So, you know, you would look at it, is it an excitement bark? Um, Is it actually maybe a bit of an apprehension anxiety bark? So I would definitely suggest having a look at the bigger picture sort of reading the body language and obviously if there's been say even maybe rewards from the owner so sometimes we can inadvertently teach our dogs wrong or inappropriate behaviour because we Mm. then outwardly reward what we're seeing and so the dogs then quickly learn or if I do a I get a nice treat or my owner gives me some attention to repeat the behaviour so Yeah, I I would say have a look because it could be an anxious bark Mm -hmm. and actually the dog's not comfortable. Um, I don't know whether it's going in the fenced area, the dog feels a little bit um, trapped or has there been a time in that area where maybe the dog's got into trouble or had another dog, you know, get a little bit aggressive with the dog and it's almost like a sort of warning that they're not happy. So yeah, so I would balance it out. There's lots of good resources out there about body language. I think we brushed upon it last time Mm. with the um, aggression ladder. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: a dog may start licking its lips or do a yawn. Yeah. That's the first start sign of the ladder that they're anxious, which an owner might not necessarily notice. So during consultations at the vets, if we look down and a dog's sort of licking its lips or does a yawn, that's actually... The very first sign that the dog's really anxious. I remember anxious. You, we were talking yeah. about that. So yeah. and then obviously then they they'll they'll up it and up it. So they might do you know and then and then when they're doing actually a, a growl that's sort of quite high up the ladder. And then if we keep going, so so yeah, I would I would definitely say in this context with Momo, don't just look at the barking. Don't assume oh she's excited and happy because she's barking, but actually, you know maybe she actually isn't. Yeah. And she's a little bit anxious.
0: And I guess it says here that we don't know um, it happens every time it goes inside the fenced doggy park. Yeah. So we don't know if it's just happening in that area or if yes, it's, so generally. I guess it, that yes. Will, yeah. Yeah. So uh, another dog-related uh, question yeah. we have from Sally. She says I was walking my dog the other day, and someone told me I shouldn't throw sticks for him.
1: I thought all dogs loved picking up sticks. Is this person right? Okay, so, yeah, so sticks, sadly, um, are not a great dog toy Um, for various reasons. They, obviously, us throwing them, yes, dogs love to chase and they love to retrieve and they love to pick up and they love to bring you back what Mm. they're going out to get. The problem is with sticks um, is actually in the veterinary world we do see a lot of injuries from sticks, from actual sort of mouth injuries, cut tongues, cut inside of their mouth, uh, cut throats. Um, some dogs actually have been, it's a horrible term, but impaled oh. as the stick bounces up. And you can oh. imagine they're often quite sharp. We had a dog once that actually went into its jugular and it came into the vets, you can imagine, hemorrhaging quite profusely. Some dogs will just chew sticks and obviously they break up and then they might shake them and obviously then they get shards of stick. Um, So yeah, it's not really a great thing to be encouraging. I often do wince when I walk past dog owners that are throwing sticks because obviously I've seen the consequences of them. So yeah, if you feel you need to throw something for your dog, then definitely get a more appropriate toy
0: what are that's, some
1: what what is more appropriate um, well, you know, they, so a lot you know, of people use sort of tennis balls or similar obviously the problem with those is that you've got to make sure the size is okay because again they often go in with an open mouth mm-hmm. and it's not unusual for tennis balls the to chow, then go back uh, and lodge at the back of their airways yeah. um so yeah making sure that's fine um the Kong range they often do a lot of um, different shapes and like rugby style balls and yeah. um, they're a bit more durable you can get things that float so a lot of yeah. people might throw things into water oh, yeah. so yeah I would have a look there, there is some sort of fake rubbery type silicon sticks you can get right. so at least it's stick shaped mm. but yeah I would I would say definitely throw with caution yeah right
0: good advice good advice okay.
2: Yeah we're not only going to talk about dogs this time we said but we'll have one more dog question that I'm really curious to hear what you what you say about because I remember a few years ago when I found out that dogs actually like to eat poo (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes also like to roll around in really smelly things like if there is a dead animal or something a dog will go there
1: and just roll around in it and having a great time what's Okay, (laughs) yeah, so coprophagia is the, the proper word for them eating their poo. It can sometimes stem back from observation. So when they are in their litter, their mums will often eat the poo to clean out the sort of area that the puppies are in. And therefore they've observed that at a sensitive time in their development. So they might have then thought, oh, okay, dog poo you eat. Um... It can be a puppy sort of, it can start obviously puppyhood and go into adolescence. We would hope that as they reach adulthood, they will stop doing it. Sometimes it can be hunger related. Sometimes it can be boredom. Um, So if they're on a good diet, hopefully it should help. And they've got stimulation and exercise and, you know, using their brain power distracts them from feeling the need. Um, The other thing that that can be crucial is the direction and the instruction behind, because sometimes it can get a bit of a game to them, they Mm. feel, so they run into the garden and they know you're going to chase them almost and then you're going to go, don't eat the boo. And to them, it's like, it's get it quick. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it, it can be um, quite a challenge because it's just a vicious cycle. And um, mm. there is products that you can use, which you can give to the dog, which is supposed to then make their feces not taste very nice. I mm. um, can't imagine it's but, uh, does, know, it, No, it? no, exactly. <laughs> um, the problem is if they're eating other dogs' feces, yeah. then obviously then, mm. you know, you, can, you can't feed all the dogs. Um, the scent rolling. So the rolling around in... Various other animals, poos maybe, fox Mm -hmm. poos, quite a common one. They might like the smell. Sometimes they may actually think it's, um, again, stemming back from their ancestry of hiding their identity. So they're actually putting a new... So a bit like us wearing perfume or aftershave. They're rolling to give themselves a different scent so that when they're going around, they're not maybe going to be noticed um, as Mm. a prey sort of species. So Like an old carcass or something, mm. again, stemming back from their ancestry, they may have um, rolled in it to actually then bring the scent back to the others in the group to indicate there's food nearby. So, yeah, often so it's, it's sort a, of an inherent behavior. Yeah, my dogs have both been um, a bit, and you normally know when they're going to do it. Their head and the side of their cheek goes down first, then their whole body rolls. Um, <laughs> but because they start on the head, it's normally then the collar that tends to then get it all inside it oh
0: I, <laughs> yes not <laughs> had, so great i looked after my oh. mum's dog for a weekend he's a uh she's on so he's a mix between oh, okay. a bichon frise and a shih tzu okay so he's very white yes and um took him to chesworth farm and she just had him groomed oh, so no. he was very he, white he looked, yeah he looks beautiful and as soon as we got there he jumped into a uh, some water and yeah. Half of him was black. Yeah. Then we carried on walking, and he then rolled it. There's loads of horse manure, yeah. so he decided to just yeah. uh, roll in that. So yeah. it was like black underneath, brown on top, nice. and really smelly. Yes. And uh, yeah, so thankfully, uh, sent... it too again. <laughs> but that's interesting to know why, because I couldn't understand. Maybe he was trying to, yeah, he didn't want to stand out. I don't know. <laughs> so... I don't want to be white. No. <laughs> he didn't like, oh. it? We have another. Dog questions. So this is sent in by Jill and she's actually sent us um a little video and it's it's because she says, Hi, we have a we have a rescue dog that we got in lockdown. She is very nervous of vets, but luckily is very fit and healthy. However, she does make a sound like she is choking or can't get her breath. It's getting more regular. I know uh, you can't diagnose but have you an idea what this is called and I can follow up. So I'm just going to see if I can play this so everyone can hear what the noise is. Um, If we can hear this. You
1: hear that sound. It sounds a bit like a sneeze doesn't it? Okay so yeah so what that's called is an inverted sneeze or snort or a reverse sneeze or snort. So normally it can indicate that there potentially could be a problem at the back of the airway, so the larynx, the pharynx. Um, sometimes it's associated with the short nose breeds, so the the bulldogs, the pugs, because so much of their sort of tissues are there and they almost get a little bit stuck so they start to make that noise. Um, sometimes it can be a sign that they maybe got an allergy and um, sometimes if they get excited, they can obviously do it more um, if it's hot. So, yeah, so it's it's one thing that I definitely would stress that they probably need to get it looked at. Yeah. Um, just to check there's not tracheal collapse, they call it, at the back of their airway, which, again, they would have to be sort of anaesthetised to see what's happening there. It's it's nothing to be too alarmed with. It doesn't sound very nice. And the dog looks, because they sort of stay rigid, and they, they're doing it as if they can't breathe. Um, sometimes if you can actually hold the end of their nostrils almost block the end of their nostrils and pull down on their sort of skin on their throat sometimes that will make them swallow a couple of times Mm -hmm. and then that can sometimes end because it's almost like a spasm that they go into and then that can sometimes release the spasm and then they're okay again. So, yeah, I would definitely say definitely probably worse.
2: But this kind of breathing, it's isn't this what you say? It's quite common with the, with the short-nosed yeah. breeds like Pugs yeah. and yeah. Uh, Bulldogs. Yeah. And...
1: So, yeah, so this dog's obviously, um, looking at the videos, not a short-nosed breed. No. It's got a long, longer nose. It could have an allergy to something. I would definitely see if there's maybe a pattern mm. with when it's occurring. Does it occur after walks? Is it occurring more in the house? If it's recurring in the house, maybe ensure you haven't got your fragrance plug-ins, reed diffusers, those sort of things that we forget about. I know when um, some of the new sort of um, Febreze-type products that came out quite a while ago now, a lot of people were loving them because they could spray them all over their pet's bedding and obviously get the smell away. Oh. But we actually did find that we had an influx of dogs with sort of allergic skin disease oh,
2: yeah. yeah. and all
1: of a sudden we were like oh there's all these dogs that keep getting these awful rashes on their bellies oh. and there was a bit of a trend we then just by chance sort of mentioned you know if you change your washing powder and everything and then people were starting to say oh I've oh, just been using Febreze on the bedding and oh, then we actually yeah. thought oh I wonder if that's a link so um but I would see if there's a pattern to it occurring when it's occurring Um, And just be mindful that if the cat, sorry, the the dog, is getting stressed or anxious, it could make it worse. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But But obviously, she's now got the problem with going to the vets. Yes, because it's Stressed at going to the vets. Um, That's all about desensitising. There's a lot of pets that associate the vets with negative emotion. So, of course, some dogs may know the car journey. So, some owners will actually state, he knows when he's coming to the vet, you know. And as soon as I turn the corner and come up the hill, the dog's starting to get anxious so it is just literally about desensitizing mm-hmm. them, breaking it down and you know almost going on some trips and you don't go into the vets yeah and then obviously yeah, they're not or oh, you go into the vets so maybe you pull in the, the car park and then you go back again and, don't, yeah. and then you go into the waiting room and you know try and treat because obviously a positive reinforcement hopefully switch their mindset but some dogs are too anxious to take to even take that in. yeah Right, we're going to move on to cats
2: now. Here's a question from John. Um, He writes, "I bought my cat an expensive bed. Why won't he lay in it?"
1: (laughs) Good (laughs) old cats. Okay, (laughs) so again, so going back to their their ancestry, cats are solitary survivors, and so they uh, need to feel safe. So their whole world really is about them keeping safe, them keeping not sort of being attacked, not being a threat. So they naturally would change where they sleep regularly mm-hmm. because obviously if they stay in one place for too long they might get hunted down yeah um and the, a lot of their their safety is interpretation of scent and semiochemicals. so that when they're scent profiling places so if we obviously bring in a new object or item like that that's going to have no scent of mm. them mm. so to them it's not A threat necessarily, but it's an unrecognized scent, so they need to be cautious. So, yes, it's not unusual for us to go and get a lovely fairy bed thinking our cat's going to lay on it mm-hmm. and then it just sits there in the corner and gets given to a friend. Or, um, so yeah, so if you may be placed, you know, you start stroking the cat around its cheeks, deposit that scent over the bed, and mm-hmm. um, do something, use something that's already smelling of the cat. So, if they've got a favorite jumper of yours they sit on and it smells of them maybe place that on the bed um sometimes it can be the position of the bed so where you've put the bed you think oh the cat's going to like it there but the cat doesn't like that area Mm. okay so obviously moving it to try and make the cat more susceptible to go in there but yeah I wouldn't be too upset and (laughs) insulted that the cat won't go in the bed
0: yeah remember the cat could... are cats and not you can't really steer them no you can't could you move the bed around like you say what yeah.
1: the cat likes to move around so if you've got the room i suppose you could absolutely yeah, yeah you could try different, different places yeah they like to be up high so you might find if you clear some shelving space and put the bed up on the shelving it might be that when they sleep they want to feel a bit more cocooned
2: mm-hmm. so
1: you actually might find that a domed igloo type bed right. they prefer Because they can feel that they are protected because they can't be seen from 180 degrees around them. So some cats will prefer that. So yeah, it might just be the style of bed isn't right. Um, Some of them have texture preferences. Yeah. So they actually prefer a different texture. I
2: remember when I was young, I always had cats as a child. And uh, quite often a cat would... I'd find the cat lying in a
1: big fruit bowl, yeah. or in <laughs> the, the, the bathroom,
2: bathroom sink.
1: Yeah, not very soft and cozy no. places. No. bit hard. Yeah, and a lot of the times it is sides, so we can have a cat in yeah. the clinic yeah. at work, exactly. yeah. and they we give them a lovely vet bed, all fluffy, and and then they'll go and line their litter tray. Oh, Mm-mm. and a lot of the time it is because they're sides, and they think they so if they thing. can't see us, they so we can't see them, and so they. They do tend to do that. So, yeah, we sort of make, like, doughnuts out of rolled blankets mm. to sort of mimic that. That's interesting.
0: So we are back to dogs. We were sent in this from Phil. He says, I've got a mastiff, and I was told that if I bought a harness, he would stop
1: pulling. But when we go out for a walk, he, he doesn't stop pulling. What can I do? Okay, so harnesses are a little bit of a grey area. Um, A lot of dogs tend to be wearing harnesses now. I think there's a lot of things out there, you know, texts that people read that obviously try and discourage a lead going on a collar because they think it might affect the neck, especially if they pull, Mm -hmm. because obviously you're putting all the force on the neck. So that's kind of almost where the trend of harnesses has come in. Now, the problem is with the harness, especially with the Mastiff, um, they are big, powerful dogs. So the harness fits around their sort of front of their body, around their shoulders and their front legs and their chest, which is probably the most powerful part of the dog. So it's a bit like when we watch Britain's Strongest Man and they're pulling a truck and they're (laughs) attached to their chests. So actually, for a harness, that dog's really going to pull. Well, you're going to feel the pull more because all their force is going to pull you. So actually, sometimes... Having the harness can make the problem worse. They can pull more and they've got all their weight. Mm. Um, There's obviously other equipment that you can use. There is sort of gentle leaders which go a bit more around the face, so a bit like a horse head collar. So if you've got their faces, you've got a bit more control. Mm. But again, it's all down to training and teaching a dog to heal is probably one of the most difficult Mm. things to actually train yeah because a dog just wants to go mm. at the fastest speed and the quickest it can and some breeds are known for pulling more than others so spaniels you know the nose is on the ground there they stop or go there doesn't seem to be an in-between the spaniels so yeah it's all about breaking it down um but yeah harnesses sometimes can make the problem worse
0: right
1: and also flexi leads so a lot of people will have flexi leads yeah so these are these plastic and um, various sizes so if you have one on a mastiff it's probably huge mm. And it's got a retractable oh. lead, so obviously it means that the dog can be at a distance from you, so have some freedom. Now, flexi leads again a bit of a bone of contention for various reasons. If you're trying to teach a heel, flexi leads aren't great because your dog thinks it's normal to be 20 foot away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very bulky to hold, so if a dog does suddenly pull and yank, it's not unusual for you just to let go. They get tangled. I don't know if you've ever done a walk with a flexi lead. I have, um, yeah, I've... the dog goes up to another dog on the lead, as we've discussed previously, not ideal. And then the dogs start twisting and sniffing each other's <laughs> bottoms, and then before you know it, you've got this jumble of leads. And then if there's then the dog's going to suddenly have a little bit of aggression. You've then wrapped around in a, a mess of leads. Um, so yeah, they're not my favourite dog equipment to be honest. And yeah, there is some stories that if the dog really does. Jerk and pull suddenly, mm. the lead comes out of the handle. I've Not also good. had that it can pull your thing like it, the the
0: friction yeah. from it. Oh yeah, if you haven't got it, you haven't got it
1: on the sort of yeah. stopper. And it, and, yeah. and sometimes people will actually I think they get a bit complacent because I think the dog's on the lead, it's under control, and you can see someone on the pavement alongside a busy road, and the dog's mm. 10, 15 foot away on the flexi. It only is going to take a squirrel to leap out on the dogs than in the road because you can't retract them back quick enough I mean you know there's a there's a place so yeah maybe if you were out in the woods and you couldn't let the dog off and there's no one else around and you've got the flexi you know and it gives them Mm. some distance or the dogs had surgery and it needs to be confined on a lead but you can give them a little bit more with the flexi lead but yeah I definitely think they need to be used with a bit of caution
2: great now we have another uh, cat question Uh, it's a question from Carly she wonders, um, my cat loves to scratch the sofa, mat by the door and carpet by the living room door. He has a cat post but rarely
1: uses it. How can I get him to stop tearing up the house? Okay, so cat scratching. Okay, so, so scratching for a cat is normal behaviour. So cats will scratch for various reasons. It's obviously to sharpen and condition their claws, mm-hmm. ready for climbing or needing to catch prey. They do it as like a yoga stretch They do it as a visual marker. So it indicates to other cats that they, you know, a cat lives here. And also they deposit scent through their paws. Okay, Okay. so cats will scratch. Okay, we as owners would prefer the cats to scratch outside. But truth be known is they need to have the options to scratch inside. Mm. And what can sometimes happen is that, um, again, behaviours, it's looking at the motivation behind the behaviour. So... When we look at Carly's situation, so first of all, it's obviously his scratching in areas that we don't want him to scratch. The sofa, the doormat. So we have to look and go, OK, is the motivation behind the scratching to show other cats that he lives there because the sofa's overlooking a window? Um, doorways aren't an unusual place because they're entry exits. So again, it's telling them that a cat lives here. Um, and the problem is they keep having to top it up. So they'll repeat doing the action because it will wear off. So the pheromones wear off and obviously the scratching needs to be made to look good again. So they're going to keep repeating it. Um, and obviously the scratch post, we then look at that side. So a lot of owners will maybe get a kitten post. And then when they're into adulthood, they won't use it anymore. And often that's because when they use it as a stretch, their stretch can be quite long.
0: Especially mm. if you've got
1: a big main Coon type cat. So a lot of the scratch posts are just not tall enough
0: right. to get okay. the stretch.
1: So it's providing a tall enough scratch post. And again, positional,
0: entry, Bringing exit points.
1: Near, right? yeah, like yeah, near a sort of window. They often will scratch once they've had a sleep, so when they've first woken up, and maybe after food. Okay. So sometimes they're just, you know, in a back bedroom. The cat doesn't really frequent that room. There's no purpose in that room. So they're probably not going to use the scratch post. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's about position. Um, some cats will be horizontal scratchers. So, in, in Carly's question, what part of the sofa is it scratching? And also, she said the doormat, didn't she? Which mm-hmm. obviously horizontal the service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if you're providing vertical scratch post and the cat likes to horizontally mm-hmm. scratch, uh, it's not going to use your scratch of post. Of course, yeah. So, sense. you can get nice, sturdy cardboard scratching boxes, which will be able to let them do that horizontally um but yeah again texture and so play, yeah, some texture them. they prefer so normally are probably are nice cottony nice fabric sofas they might like mm. and obviously then there's there's ways you can deter cats from scratching might be for another day another conversation but obviously if we've got to provide an alternative mm-hmm. so a lot of people with behavior problems will you know they might use water pistols and Throwing things, which isn't great. Oh, it can be a complex problem, but it's remembering it's normal behaviour for the cat. Mm-hmm. We just find it not appropriate because they're ruining our yeah. furniture. Yeah. But yeah, it's quite a complex thing. But yeah, you've always got to provide an alternative. So it's no good going right. I'm going to put tin foil on all corners of my sofa because the cat doesn't like the scratching noise. The yeah. Tin foil, or put citronella, or try and use a deterrent. If you haven't got an option for them no, to do course, it, right. yeah. they'll just move it to yeah. your yeah. dining room chair leg. Yeah. So it's trial and error in terms of yeah. The alternative. Yeah. And also, so it's territorial, really. So, yeah, 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 the presence, yeah, so that they feel safe. And that's the problem sometimes with them when cats start to urinate and house soil. Often it's actually a... <laughs> they're not feeling good for some reason, and they're feeling the need that they have to reassure themselves by marking their territory. Uh-huh. Yeah, cat behaviour is a very interesting topic that we could talk about for a long time. (laughs) Yes, yeah.
0: We will have to park it for another time because this is our last question, back to dogs. Um, This has come from Erica via Facebook. And Erica says, what makes some breeds susceptible to problems? For example, I've heard so many Border Terriers have teething issues, meaning they have to undergo general anaesthetic for removal and cleaning. Quite a big question. Yeah, it is. Can to be avoided? I guess each breed will have its own problems.
1: Um, There is obviously resources. So the Kennel Club will have a list of all the breeds and what their potential congenital problems might be. So if you're going to get a dog, a specific breed, you definitely want to be having a look at the problems that can be associated with this dog. So maybe, say... Example, Labradors are known for getting hip and elbow dysplasia, yeah. so hip, you know, joint problems. There's a scoring scheme. So if you're going to look at a puppy, you can ensure that the parents and the grandparents have got good scores. So hopefully then it's not bred on the line. Um, if she's talking about dental disease as a subject, yes, there there is breeds that are more susceptible to having dental problems. Sadly, again, we have to go back to the shorter-nosed breeds. So the teeth alignment aren't correct when they're sort of crunching and biting on food. They're not aligned properly, so therefore they're not scraped, as it were, when they're eating. Mm -hmm. And so obviously they can build up plaque and then get the dental disease. Um, Actually, the same with the longer nose breeds. So your greyhounds, um, again, because they've got this longer nose, it just tends to be that they are more susceptible to dental disease. Um Little Jack Russells, Yorkshire Terriers. But yes, Erica's right. There is a lot of breeds that are more predisposed to teeth issues. Mm-hmm. Um, can you do something about it? Absolutely, yes. It's something that needs to be started very early on okay. to be accepted. So yeah, teeth brushing is the gold standard right. for dental care. So yeah, it's actually letting them allow you to brush their teeth. Yeah. Okay, now you're not going to go straight away with a toothbrush because they will be anxious. What's that coming to my mouth? So if you're actually introducing it as a part of your grooming with Mm. the puppies, you don't have to be opening their jaws. You can just literally have your fingers either side sort of under their lips Mm. and just get them used to the sensation of it being rubbed Mm. and then obviously then you can put some doggy toothpaste specific toothpaste on your finger and then you can then do that you could then maybe go to something a bit more abrasive so you could get a bit of like first aid gauze and put some toothpaste and then use that along there and then you could eventually go to a brush now some people can't get to a brush because the dog just thinks it's a chewing fun exercise and you're putting <laughs> yeah. something in their mouth and they just want to chew and then it's difficult yeah. so some people just get to like a thimble fit on your fingers that you can then use so some people might just get to that stage which is fine um there's obviously dental chews out there the problem is that clinically they have to be chewing for at least seven and a half minutes for Before it to have chew. any benefit All right. so a lot of the dental chews out there you can probably count 15 seconds gone Mm -hmm. and so it's having no effect on their the dental their oral cavity at all and actually the calories that they're taking in is probably worse for them than the you know the fact it's not helping the teeth so yeah so again go back to kong so the kong range they are very good they're very very hard rubber Mm -hmm. and if you're filling a kong up with food for them they are you know biting down and you can really hear that rubber squeak that's gonna help crack the tartar off um The disease aspect comes from, obviously, it being a chronic long-term issue. So a bit like us, you know, we go to the dentist and we have a nice descale scale and polish. Um, Ours are full of bacteria, which actually goes back to the cat dribbling question. So, yeah, so is the dribble, has it got bad bacteria? Well, potentially, if there's dental disease, yes. Mm. So that's actually one of the reasons we actually do brush our teeth. Right. To reduce the bacteria load. And the same with, you know, with the dogs. Um, Cats, (laughs) different challenge there. Because a lot of cats are not going to want you to be brushing their teeth. Um, there is dental biscuits out there, so the kibble's normally a bit bigger, and the way the kibble's been made, it has like a matrix. It's a bit like sandpaper, so as they bite mm. into the kibbles, it's supposed to sort of be a bit abrasive mm. on the surface of the teeth. But look at the dog. Is it chewing that kibble or is it? Swallowing it without chewing it. Mm, yeah, it's okay. got to chew it for a long, yeah.
0: probably a long time again. Well,
1: the chewing and the biting in of the biscuit is fine because once they've cracked into it, it should be doing its job. And some of the food have certain enzymes which break down the the sort of plaque on the teeth. But some dogs, because they're engorging so quickly, mm. they'll just be swallowing the food hub mm. So there's no point of adding in an expensive dental diet if the effects of it aren't going to be seen because... The dog doesn't chew it.
0: Mm. I never realised mm. that you that you needed to keep such a close eye on their dental health, I guess. Yeah, is yeah but it is one of the most so commonest
1: is. disease processes that we see in veterinary clinics. Um, we do do a lot of time doing anaesthetics. So a lot of people say, oh, can you not do it sort of conscious? There is some dental units now that there's a bit of a trend at the moment for dog groomers to be having ultrasonic type scalars. Okay. That's a, quite a new thing. I haven't really looked into it, but... Um, but yeah, it's the water that's within the mouth, and um, we—they have to be anaesthetised because they have to have a tube down their airway because okay. we don't right. want them in water. Mm. So when we go to the dentist, we have someone, a dental nurse, sucking up.
2: Yes, of course, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, sucking up the um, the mm. water from the mouth, but we obviously can't do that with the pets mm. so it's got, if if it gets too far if you don't maintain the yeah. dental health then it's much bigger than just like our yeah. the dentist yeah. you know when i first started nursing 30 years ago it wasn't unusual to have like a little yorkshire terrier that would come in and probably lose most of its teeth really mm. yeah because wow. they just have mm. yeah so much plaque and tartar that it then starts to decay the gum and then the gums get recession and then the teeth sometimes the teeth can even be flicked out because they're so loose. Oh, but just thinking, I
2: mean, in the wild, a wolf, yeah. for instance, or a fox,
1: yeah. they're not brushing their teeth. No. How? So they obviously are chewing down on bone and meat, um, sort of muscle-type meat. Yeah. It's a bit like floss. So the texture of it probably cleans their teeth quite well. Um, but do we know? Do we, if we got a wild fox in and looked at its teeth, would there be decay? Yeah. Um, maybe would be now, because a lot of them are urban and... Eating stuff from our bins, of yeah, not eating natural yeah. food. I suppose, but can um, that be
2: a solution then to our dogs to have for them to have a diet that
1: mimics more something that they would eat if they were living in the wild? I mean, obviously, some people will give bones. Um, again, I come from a veterinary perspective, not a nutritional perspective, so I can see the pitfalls of and the problems that are associated with say, feeding bones. Mm-hmm. So the bones shard. And yeah. um, the splinters, they s- swallow and then they can get perforations in their gastrointestinal tracts. Um, it's quite common for someone to maybe give a lamb bone. They cook a lamb roast mm. and give a lamb bone and then the, the lamb bones are known for splintering. Yeah. So the dogs are eating and getting the meat off and they're just crunching the bone up and swallowing it and then it's got to pass through.
2: And yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. it
1: can... Cause problems the other end. Mm. Cause it's not simple, is it? It's not simple, no.
2: Right. That was the last question, but we still have a few other
0: things that we would like. Yeah, we thought it'd be great to get some... The questions that you... That come up time and time again, Zoe, the, the sort of problems that, that come up or things that people ask you.
1: Yeah, you I can... mean, often it's about the type of pet, especially with families. Parents might decide that it's the right time to get a pet for their children I would always say the most important thing is to research the the pet that you're looking to get. Maybe speak to family members, friends that might have that sort of pet. So, you know, a dog, a cat, rabbit, guinea pigs, um, gerbils, chinchillas. And obviously, yes, you can go to the pet shop and you can have a look and the kids might warm towards a certain animal. But as I say, you definitely need to do your background work on how mm. they should be looked after properly. Um, because ultimately, I know with my own situation, the kids do get bored and it does end up being your responsibility as a parent. Mm. And yeah, that's then going to add to your workload. Mm. So it does have to be a, a fully committed decision. Um, I would always say, you know, go to your local rescue home, have a chat with them there, see if the children maybe can spend a morning there to actually see what it's like. A lot of the, the rescue centres may be like volunteer dog walkers say Mm. Mm. so it might be that you could volunteer the family to go and you know adopt a dog that you go and walk once a week you know just Mm. to get to sort of feel what it's like um but yeah definitely research definitely research the pets i would say the problem is i say social media is that you know sometimes it can be quite an opinionated place yeah Um, sometimes always yeah (laughs) yeah. so yeah i would definitely go to reputable you know the the sites that are, known, you know, like the dog rescue sites or the cat rescue sites, like the Cats Protection, Dogs Trust, RSPCA, the various rescue homes mm. centers that there are. A lot of people will say that that rats are often, you know, rats are missed. Yes, uh, um, are not really seen because they're seen as a pests aren't they and do rats make good pets i've heard that they're really good pets and really yeah Yeah. i mean they're really intelligent they're actually quite clean i mean we don't like to think as rats as clean do we because our our perception of rats is sewers and dirt Mm. and bins and things Mm. but they're actually quite clean and they do really like attention you know you can see them wanting to be bonded with you and wanting to come out and wanting to be held um and obviously over say hamsters Mm. hamsters can bite and nocturnal and they can be you know they're not really that sociable in the fact that their waking hours aren't really suited to our sort of yeah. environments and yeah. so um, so yeah maybe rats are overlooked as a good yeah threat. just
2: thinking it's, yeah you, you think of them as living in sewers and yep. bins and then we just
1: heard what well, we said about dogs and they yeah yeah, and yeah absolutely just, you know, yep. it's, it's your yep. mindset quite often um, absolutely isn't it? and ferrets obviously ferrets can be quite a popular popular one again it's um i always think with owning a pet which i'm as i say quite strongly opinionated about is that you can provide the environment of what they should be doing So, for instance say my rabbits I'm really fortunate that I've got like a 120 long foot garden. So my rabbits have free roam of that
2: Mm.
1: all day. Mm. And at night time, they're then put away, but they're putting away still isn't just the conventional hutch. It's like an upstairs, downstairs. They have a tunnel at the bottom that's attached, which is probably about two metres long, that then goes out into a six by six foot run. Wow! So even at night time, they have room. Yes. Mm. Rabbits probably in the the natural environment probably go 3-4 miles a day.
2: Really. Not
1: in distance as in travelling, but how they're hopping around and yeah. roaming around. Yeah. So they they need a lot of exercise. And of course to then place a rabbit in confinement in a small cage. Yeah. When you are then starting to look at their emotional well-being and welfare, which is obviously connected, mm. um mm. is that actually then right for them? You know, I I don't oppose to people having rabbits at all but maybe go and get a wendy house you know like a nice shedded kids wendy house mm-hmm. and actually have them living in that and having lots of external room um, and they are really sociable as well i mean my rabbits as soon as i start to do any gardening they're nosy you know they are really inquisitive mm. um so yeah definitely definitely look at the animal's ethology how did it live and how should it live so like with ferrets you know ferrets are naturally used to go down holes and yeah. catch mm. stuff if you're then going to bring a ferret in and it's not really going to be doing much, is that, you know, is that right? Yeah. Going back to the rats and ferrets, yes.
0: are, what's the difference between the ones that you would have as a pet and, and ones that, you know, we don't want to meet? They're wild the wild rats, yeah, they're one, the fancy yeah.
1: rats. So you've obviously got different breeds, like with, mm. with anything. So yeah, so obviously you've got your wild rats, which are your classic brown, brownie-gray ones. They're kind of fancy rats. They like the black and white ones or mm. the white ones or the, the different colours. So, yeah, so they're sort of bred as pet rats. Right, yeah. Really. It's, it's,
2: it's... I'm the only one here who actually like rats. <laughs> 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 I think I'd rather a rat than a dog. Um... Yeah,
0: yeah. Yes. Just, yeah. I. I can't get past that perception. that They are associated with running through sewers and running yes. uh, through bins. But it's the tail. Is their long tail? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the yeah a lot of really people have a problem tail. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes me feel
2: weird. Although my number one pet would be a cat, and that wouldn't work with a rat.
1: No. Well. No. The rat might not last. <laughs> no.
0: No.
2: no. <laughs> I just one one quick question about yeah. rabbits. I remember. So I grew up in the countryside on a farm yep. actually, and I had rabbits yeah. as pets yeah i remember back then we were told that it was really hard to see to figure out their sex when yeah. they're small so we had two and okay. of course it ended up being one of yeah. each which yeah. soon after there were not only one of each yeah there were hundreds yeah. it <laughs> seemed yeah no but yeah. there were lots of them yeah i want your comment on this
1: um, yeah it's uh, not an uncommon problem yeah to be honest um so it's obviously if you're getting them younger you need to make sure that you've got, you say getting from the pet shop, that the member of staff is quite confident that they've sexed them right. Um, obviously, the, the boys will eventually get testicles that you will be able to see in that region. But yeah, the biology, the, the parts that you sort of see when they're younger are quite similar. Yeah, it can be quite difficult with them when they're young.
2: Yeah, just coming back to unusual pets Yeah. again when I was young. Um, when I was young, there was, there was a bit of a boom in having pigs yeah as pets it was quite popular to have a pet pig that you were walking a lead even i've also heard that pigs are actually just as intelligent
1: as dogs they're quite clever it was micro pigs wasn't it and pot bellied pigs people thought they could get this a micro pig and it wouldn't grow very big but actually when they were (laughs) fully grown the micro pig still actually is quite big oh yeah um and again I, i think it was a little bit of a trend um they do eat quite a lot, and they do make quite a lot of mess. And I don't think people quite realised what owning a pig maybe yeah. is like. I think
0: going back to that, you, we were talking earlier about the having in the environment. You yeah. were Talking about rabbits need yeah. lots of space. Yeah. And, and I guess pigs yeah. too. Their their lifestyle. Naturally, yeah. they're used yeah. to they're rolling to snuffle, in mud. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, they like to have around. mud, snuffle in the uh, muds. You can't yeah, have a neat garden with a pig, right? No. We'll no. have to. Yeah. All. yeah <laughs> scrape it all up and sniffle down and. Yeah, make a mess and scroach in the mud and lay in the mud. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Get your pig to school to pick your child up. That'll get some uh, attention. (laughs)
0: brilliant thanks Sari. I'm sure all of all of the pet owners who sent in questions will be very grateful for your for your insight and your your help it's been great as always to talk to you
1: thank you for for joining us thank you for having me again
2: I've really enjoyed it yeah we really learn whenever we meet you and our guests and this was not an exception thank you so much And thank you very much
0: thank you for listening to Sounding Out Horsham you make it worthwhile Yes, and now we want to ask you something. If you enjoy our podcast, we would really appreciate it if you could spread the word and tell other people all about it or by liking us on social media and sharing our posts. We've met so many fascinating individuals since we started Sounding Out Horsham and we'd love it if more people in the community could hear their stories.
2: You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Sounding Out Horsham. And of course, don't hesitate to get in touch. Oh,